chapter 19, verses 12 through 13. That's on page 13 in the Pewback Bibles. Then the men said to Lot, have you, have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great, great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. In Scripture, you find that God has judged a number of cities. He judged Babel, which was a city that they were building. There was a tower in the center of it in Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. God judged a number of other cities. He judged Jericho in Joshua chapters 2 through 6. God judged Nineveh. In the book of Jonah, Jonah was sent to preach to Nineveh, that great city, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And because they repented, God spared Nineveh, but then the book of Nahum is the rest of the story. In the book of Nahum, God promised to once for all destroy the city of Nineveh. When you get to the New Testament, God judges the city of Jerusalem. Jesus cried out famously about how he had longed to gather Jerusalem under his wing as a, as a hen gathers its chicks, but they were not willing. And because of that, Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. And that actually happened in AD 70 after the Lord's ascension. Over and over throughout history, God has looked down from heaven upon the cities of mankind, and when he sees something that is especially grievous, especially offensive, God has judged cities. Perhaps the most famous judgment that God has ever rained down on cities, literally rained down, is upon Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to look at this passage tonight and learn from it what God would have us to know. Open your Bibles, if you haven't already done so, to Genesis 19, Genesis chapter 19, and we're going to talk through the passage briefly before we look at some lessons. As you look at Genesis 19, verse 1, there are two angels, the Bible says, that come to Sodom, and they are coming because they want to warn Sodom that judgment is about to happen, especially Lot, they're going to warn. The scripture says that Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom, Genesis 19, verse 1, and when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the earth, and he said, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet, then you may rise up early and go on your way. And these two angels said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. In verse 4 it says, but before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house, and they called Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance. He shut the door after him and he said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do so to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn. He's become our judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And they pressed hard against the man Lot and they drew near to the, break the door down. But the men reached out their hands, that is the angels, and they brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. 
It's not the prettiest story you'll ever read in Scripture. A lot of heartbreak, a lot of ugliness. What happens from verse 12 onward is that those angels begin to warn Lot, you're going to have to get out of here, and Lot is reluctant to leave. As a matter of fact, Lot and his family, they, they seem to find every excuse they can to not get up and go. Even though the angels say, we're going to destroy this city, you've got to go, Lot. And then finally, when Lot and his wife and his daughters leave the city, God rains down literally fire and brimstone. You've heard of fire and brimstone sermons? The first place you read about fire and brimstone falling upon men in judgment is in Genesis 19 in the account of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the chapter ends with smoldering cities in ruins. Lot's wife turns around and comes, becomes a pillar of salt because she longingly looks back at the city of Sodom where she had lived, where she had made her home. And Lot's daughters do some horrible things to try to keep their family line going after this episode is over. Why is this in the Bible? I can understand why the cross is in the Bible. I can understand why the things that happened to the apostles are, the, are in the book of Acts. I can understand even some of the judgments, but why is this in the Bible? Why does God tell us in graphic detail some of the things that were happening in ancient times in a place called Sodom that God thought were so offensive that he wiped the city off the map? Why? And the answer is because there are lessons for us to ponder and to learn and to take to heart. Let's take three of those lessons to heart this evening. There's more that we could say, but three lessons to ponder about God's wrath and about God's judgment. Number one this evening, let's talk about Lot's drift. You know, Lot was a relative of Abraham and you might remember back in Genesis 13 that Abraham gave Lot the choice. Our, our flocks are too many and we're gonna have to divide and Lot, you decide. And the Bible starts to worry about Lot. The Bible starts to express concern about Lot back in Genesis chapter 13. You know what it says? In Genesis 13, verses 12 and 13, Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and he moved his tent as far as Sodom. And listen to what the Bible says. We're now six chapters away from Genesis 19, but it says, and Sodom was wicked. These men were great sinners against the Lord. Lot decided that the fields and the land looked better near Sodom. And Lot decided that that was where he was going to pitch his tent. That was where he was going to take his family and his herds. And then when you get to chapter 19 of Genesis, you find out the result of the decision that Lot makes. But as early as Genesis 13, the Bible's expressing concern about the decision that Lot makes. Have you ever seen somebody, maybe if you're older, seen your kids or seen a relative's kids? You see them making some really foolish choices and you know this is not going to end well and you know that this is unwise and they, they look at you and they say, well, but what I'm doing is technically not wrong. What I'm doing is really, it's, it's not that big of a deal and the Bible doesn't say I can't. That's how Lot started out. I'm going to take my family down there to Sodom. Look at what advantages Sodom gives me. And then look at Genesis 19 and look at what happens. When you get to Genesis 19 verses 1 and 2, by Genesis 19, Lot has not a tent, but he's got a house in Sodom. He's built a permanent house. He lives among the people in the city, 
Come to your servant's house, he says to the angels in verse two. Not only that, but in verse one, the scripture says he sits in the gate of Sodom. In ancient times, that's where business was conducted. That's where the city council met. They didn't have a town square, they had a town gate. And if you wanted to find the important men of the town, you would go to the city gate and you would talk to the men and you would visit with them about whatever the concern was. And Lot has a place among the leading men of Sodom. Sits in the gate. Not only that, but Lot, as we look at the passage, he lingers in Sodom. When those angels come and they talk to, Sod- uh, talk to Lot and they say, you're gonna have to leave town. The scripture says in verse 16, but he lingered. He was in love with the place. There were some advantages about Sodom that Lot wasn't ready to get rid of. He wasn't ready to cut loose. I'm gonna stay here just a little bit longer. In verses 17 through 22, if you're counting in the text, the word escape is used at least five times. And it's as if the angels are saying to Lot, Lot, you've got to escape. You've got to get out. Get, talk, talk to your family. Talk to your sons-in-law. Talk to everybody that, that you care about. Tell them to escape. You can't wait any longer. You've got to escape. And Lot, it's like having to, as my mother would say, it's like having to pull hen's teeth. You ever heard that expression? It's almost impossible to do. You can't get this man out of Sodom. Lot has decided that this is where he belongs. This is where he's going to stay. And you might ask the question as you read this account, thinking about the drift. Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. He decided that was where he was going to live. He started to build permanent things. He became attached to the city. He lost a lot in the process. What did Lot lose? Lot lost his morality. Remember that verse in verse 8? I'll bring out my two virgin daughters. They've not known a man. I'll bring them out to you. Do with them as you choose, as you please. Only don't don't harm these visitors that have come under my roof. No, you cannot explain that morally in any way, shape, or form. Lot has lived among the men of Sodom so long that he thinks this is a rational, reasonable solution. Not only that, he loses his credibility. His sons-in-law, he's got apparently a couple of young men that intend to marry his daughters that have not yet married them because they've not yet known a man. And his sons-in-law hear him say, you've got to get out of town. And they think he's joking. When he starts talking about God's judgment, when he starts talking about really serious matters, spiritual matters, you don't mean it, Lot. Come on, we know who you are. You're one of us. You belong with us. He lost his fear of the Lord. When he's told verbatim that the city's about to be destroyed by God, even then he delays. You ask about what Lot lost. He lost his family. When his wife turned around in verse 26, they were escaping the city. As she turned around to see what was happening to the city, it wasn't just curiosity. She turned around because she missed the place that she was leaving. Because it had so affected her, it had so become a part of her heart and her mind that she didn't want to leave. He lost his wife. He lost any kind of normal, natural relationship with his daughters, verses 31 through 38. I want to tell you something. There are some things that we can do in this life that are not necessarily sinful. 
There are choices we can make and we can say, and we can justify, the Bible doesn't tell me that I can't do this. Show me in the Bible where it says that what I'm doing is a sin. I'm telling you something, the principle that you find in the story of Lot and Sodom is this. It wasn't technically wrong for Lot to live in Sodom. He did not sin by so doing, but I'll tell you this too, it wasn't wise. And oftentimes those kinds of choices, as you think about what you've got to do is play it forward in your mind and think about where this is going to end up. Think about if this finally, whatever I'm involving myself in, whatever my family's involved in, if this goes to seed, if this finally ends up years down the road, what's this going to look like? And in choices like this, it takes years sometimes to see the effects. But all of a sudden you get to Genesis chapter 19, six chapters after Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. And here we are six chapters down the road and Lot has lost everything. And I wonder if you could go back in time and talk to Lot, if you ask him, do you think that when Abraham offered you the choice, you think you made the wrong choice? I mean, yeah, Sodom has a lot to offer. I mean, it's got great schools. It's got great opportunities. Sodom's got great land. We can own a lot. We can have, uh, you know, wealth and prosperity and we can have a home and the home's going to be a nice home. We can have all these things, but what's it going to cost? It wasn't wise for him to do what he did. And every Christian ought to stop and think about Lot when we make important life choices and even some not so important life choices. If you're having to justify what you're doing by say, well, I've looked at the Bible and I don't see where there's anything wrong with it, that's a huge red flag, I'm telling you. Next, as you learn lessons from Sodom and Gomorrah, think about Sodom's sin. Lot knew what was about to happen to these visitors. Verses one and two, I want you to look at the text in verses one and two of Genesis 19. Two visitors come to town and Lot is urgent. It's like, it's like he will not let this go. He's not just politely saying, you guys need to come stay at my house. Lot knows what's going to happen to these men if they stay in the city square. Because it's happened to others. That's the implication. They're going to get a, if you want to say it this way, they're going to get a welcome the way they welcome people in Sodom the way they welcome outsiders. This is what we do. And so Lot is urgent. You, you men have to come. And, and even then, when he says, you've got to come stay at my house, then you can rise up early. Get up before everybody else does. Get up before the sun comes up and, and leave quickly. Don't stay here. You don't want people to catch you staying the night in Sodom if you're a visitor. Lot understood the threat. When you look at verse four, some interesting things in the passage. In verse four of Genesis 19, the scripture says, and it says it repeatedly, emphatically, all the men of the city are involved, everybody. It says it like four times in one verse. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. Everybody is in on this. The whole city's enthusiastic about this. The Bible says that they want those visitors to be sent out that we may know them. The Bible is talking about and it's using the word know as a euphemism for violating someone sexually. 
That's what they're talking about. And Lot says, don't do this. Don't, don't, don't do this great wickedness. And the men, they, they look at Lot and they, you know, they, they say, Lot, this is what we want. We're not going to be dissuaded. In our modern times, this passage has been reinterpreted, and I need to talk about this for just a moment, by those who say that the Bible does not condemn homosexuality. And the reinterpretation of this passage goes like this. When they said, send those men out that we may know them, what they're saying is, we want to show them hospitality. And Lot, you've taken those men into your home and you are being hospitable to them, but you're hoarding them from us. We want to be hospitable to them too. And look at what you're doing, Lot, you're being selfish. How do you respond to this? If somebody, have you ever heard this? If somebody ever says this, what's the response? How do you say, well, you know, but no is a euphemism for sexual intimacy. How do you know? You know it because of a couple of things in the passage. Look at the text. In verse 8, behold my two daughters who have not known any man. Do with them as you will. Lot uses the word no, and he's not talking about handshakes and smiles and how are you doing. Again, look at verse 9. The men say, we will deal worse with you, Lot, than with them. They do not have hospitality on their mind. They are talking about humiliation. They are talking about harm. They are talking about violating people. And we're going to deal worse with you than with them, Lot. There's just not even a question that this objection is true. And yet you'll hear people make this argument if they've done any study and try to justify, again, homosexual behavior from Scripture. What's Sodom's sin? Sodom's sin is they want to violate those men. Sin turns people into one of two things. Sin turns people into objects to be removed, to be destroyed, to be defeated. You are in my way. I want something, I must have it, and you are holding me back. That's what Lot was. Lot was just an object to them. They don't care about Lot. They just want what they want, to satisfy their lust, to satisfy their passion. And when we sin, sometimes the people around us become mere objects. The other thing sin turns people into, vehicles. To be used, to be victimized, to be exploited. Sin turns people into objects. It ser- sin turns people into vehicles. We need to think about this aspect of sin because sometimes people get into the habit of looking at pornography. And they say, It's just between me and God. You know what? It's not just between you and God for a number of reasons, but I'll tell you something else. You are taking other people and you are using them as not not people that are made in the image of God. You're not thinking about them that way. They are objects or they are vehicles to get what you want or they're in in your way of what you want. Every sin does that. And yet Jesus says, the whole law is summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19, 18. It's the second commandment, the great commandment. Like unto, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You cannot sin and love your neighbor as yourself. Impossible to do. 
And so these men, they want to know these angels. They don't even know they're angels. They look like ordinary men. But there they are in Lot's house. And so the angels strike them blind. And then with the rest of the account, we find God's wrath. God's wrath is a fearsome thing. God's wrath has been poured out, it's been displayed repeatedly throughout history and there's coming a day, a final day of wrath. The Bible says when we become Christians, we are saved from God's wrath through the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1 verses 9 and 10, Romans chapter 5 verses 8 through 10. We're saved from wrath through Him. But God's wrath with the wicked, it's a fearsome thing. Look at what it says. In verse 13, the passage that Kyle read just a moment ago, the outcry against this people has come up before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy this city. It sounds a lot like what happened with Abel a few weeks ago in one of our studies, remember? The outcry of your brother, of your, your, his blood, he said to Cain, the outcry has come up before me. God sees the injustice of what's being done and God's not going to let that lie for very long. We're going to destroy the city of Sodom. Again, the scripture says in verses 24 and 25, I've got it highlighted on here because the Bible's making this an emphatic point. In fact, it's emphatic in the text. It's the Lord, it's God who reigned on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven, it says in verse 24. You know, if you turn on the History Channel, you'll have people with PhDs from Harvard and Vanderbilt and other places, and they, you know, they've got PhDs in religious studies, and they're, they're being put on there as experts, and they'll say, well, we think that Sodom and Gomorrah might have been a meteor strike. We think that maybe, you know, they didn't anticipate, and they just, they just wrote the Bible and said that this thing happened to them, but it was just a natural phenomenon, and, you know, it was, it was horrible, yes, but, you know, wrath of God, I don't know about that. Bible says otherwise. Bible says this fire came from the Lord. And it doesn't say it once, it says it twice in verse 24. It says in verse 25, he, God, overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and even the vegetation gets wiped out. What grew on the ground, verse 25, fire and brimstone, fire and sulfur raining from heaven. I don't know what that looks like and I don't think I wanna know. Again, in verse 27, Abraham is up in the mountains and he can see down in the valley, Sodom and Gomorrah. And can you just imagine this in your mind's eye, verse 27, it says, Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He's up on this mountain and he looks down. Most people think this is probably toward the Dead Sea in this, in this vicinity in the south part where all this took place. And Abraham looks down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. Verses 27 and 28, utter devastation. Incidentally, when you read apocalyptic language from here on, a lot of apocalyptic language, like what you read in Ezekiel and what you read in Revelation and the New Testament, it gets its terminology, it gets its phrases from a lot of what you read in Genesis. Rainbows and the smoke of a furnace going up, God's judgment, God's wrath, those kinds of things you find in apocalyptic literature. God's wrath, God's judgment. God is angry with sin. And one of the big messages of the book of Genesis is we don't take sin seriously enough. 
we don't take it as seriously as God does. You know, Jesus commented on Sodom and Gomorrah. You know what he said about it? In Matthew eleven twenty three 23 and 24, he was preaching in a city called Capernaum. He had done miracles there. He had done signs and wonders. He had preached gospel sermons in Capernaum and they had rejected him. You know what Jesus said about that? You, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For, listen to this, if the mighty works done in you, Capernaum, had been done in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, there's something even worse than living like Sodom. And the thing that's even worse is this, to see the works of Jesus, to see the blessings that come from Jesus and then to reject him. You wanna talk about wrath. You wanna talk about God's anger. You wanna talk about God's vengeance. Jesus said, it's gonna be an easier time on the day of judgment for those people from Sodom than it will for the people of Capernaum who saw the Son of God with their own eyes and rejected Him. Brothers and sisters and friends, if that's true, then we ought to stop and ask the question, what's it gonna be like for people in our generation? We live in the age of information where everybody who wants to can know God's Word. Everybody who wants to, free of charge, has instant access through the internet, through probably owning a copy themselves of God's Word. What's it going to be like for us in the Day of Judgment? If you hear God's will over and over and over and keep rejecting it, rejecting it, rejecting, what's going to be like for us? Sodom and Gomorrah are a warning to us. Don't be flippant about the will of God and don't think, don't think if Sodom did not escape God's judgment, that you and I are going to escape God's judgment. Thanks for your attention this evening to this particular study. I want to ask you this question, have you obeyed the gospel? Have you recognized who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and have you come to him to flee from the wrath to come? God wants us to obey his word. He wants us to know him. He wants us to have a relationship with him. And that begins at baptism. If we can help you to obey the gospel tonight, or if we can help you by praying for you, praying with you, won't you make your need known while together we stand and while we sing?